Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. I'm going to make a prediction, and I'm not a soothsayer, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be correct. Things are going to get loud and tense when it comes to the strike. No more polite explaining. Uh, some of the things I've been seeing on TV, well, I'm, you know, I have one eye, I have the sound down, and I can see uh, union leaders and people hands moving all over the place. It's going to be a week. We know the stakes are high. We're going to talk about it here. Charles Smith is joining us live, a political science professor, University of Saskatchewan. Charles Good afternoon. Hi, Arlene. Nice to be here. All right, Charles, what can we expect here? We know how the trajectory of these goes, and right now we're into the the tense time of it, and it's going to start affecting our lives. What do you see in the days ahead here as we head into this somewhat historical strike? Yeah, I mean, one of the things we saw on Friday was definitely the two sides sort of hardening their position, doing a little bargaining, maybe you call it posturing in public to try and, you know, sort yeah. of um, rally the their members and their supporters to say, like, you know, we're, we, we're in the right. And uh, that rhetoric got a little heated on Friday. So I think you're right to suggest that the stakes have sort of been taken up or the temperature has been turned up a little bit uh, going into next week. But I think the sides are pretty clear on what their positions are. The union is asking for uh, sort of cost of living wage increases and the government's trying to hold the line against that. And, you know, when it comes to those kind of uh, hard and fast positions, it takes some movement or sorry, it takes some, I think, struggle to move one of the sides or both sides to come to the table. Now, I think it's good that they're still talking and that's always a good sign. So hopefully uh, our predictions turn out to be not true <laughs> and, they're, and they are able to find a common cause. Yeah, it's true. Although I think we are correct. I'm just saying that if I was a betting person, that's the way I would go right now. You know, one of the things I've been really focused on, along with others, is public sentiment is going to drive this. And the consensus last week from certainly political analysts I talked to is that the liberals could say they had the public on their side, that, you know, read the room, look at what Canadians, how are they feeling? There's a money crunch, people are worried. And this seems, perhaps compared to most people, a little bit excessive. Charles, do you think that that could change? Well, we are. I think we do have some a little bit of evidence to suggest that Canadians are uh, not necessarily critical of the union and actually recognize that, um, you know, we're, all, we're in this unprecedented moment, or at least unprecedented in the past 25 years, where we have these periods of high inflation, working people are falling behind and, you know, these public servants, and I think the PSAC has been successful in getting this message out that these public servants are not sort of the elites within the public service. These are, you know, primarily people who process applications, who check waters, water for, you know, diseases or, or what have you, or do work in the fisheries or work in office buildings who process your visa applications. You know, it's a very, uh, it's a workforce that's dominated by women Women uh, make less than men in our economy, um, you know, so I think there's been some success on the PSAC's part to get the message out that these are, you know, on average workers who make, you know, between fifty and $70,000 a year and are struggling just like you. And I think that's partially why the public is um, at least supportive of the union's cause, because really what they're trying to do is, you know, you know stay above water. They're not, uh, you know, seeking excessive wage demands. They're really trying to keep up with the cost of living. And I think that message is something a lot of people can resonate with. 
Well, we know that 55% of Canadians say they do support also the right to work for home. That's the new part about it. You know, it's not just wages here, isn't it? This, and I, you know, people are looking, it will set a precedent for the privates, as we say. Yeah, it's it's possible that's true. Uh, it's interesting that there's been more sympathy for that. I think that is a result of the pandemic. I think, you know, public servants, just like many of us, both in the private sector and the quasi-public sector, certainly the university sector and in education, you know, we were asked to pivot on a dime and try and, you know, reimagine what our jobs would look like if we were doing it remotely. Um, you know, the civil service in, in Ottawa was asked to do some pretty herculean things in terms of getting you know, benefits out the door. That was sort of unprecedented. And I think for the most part, you know, hiccups aside, that was fairly successful. And I think that question is now reimagining what work can be. Um, I think there's pressure on the employer side to, you know, not have empty office buildings and to, you know, have more management control over their workforce, which I think they see as something important inside the workplace. And they feel they have less control over remote uh, work. Um, So I think you're seeing a bit of a struggle on who controls labor and how labor's regulated. And I think that's part of the question for sure. It is, but you know, public sympathy that sways these things, Charles, doesn't it? They're always both sides are always trying to garner it, and historically, it can really move the dial. Well, absolutely. I, whenever the public sector goes on strike, there's three players at the table, right? There's the employer, there's the union, and there's the public. Um, and you know, we've seen the public be very much sympathetic to arguments made by the players, especially in unions. We saw it in Ontario. Uh, when the educational workers were on strike um, before the back-to-work legislation passed by the Ford government, that there was sympathy with that struggle. I think there's a sense uh, out there that um, governments using heavy-handed tools to undermine the ability of workers to bargain fair wages um, just doesn't seem fair. Um, And I think that's one of the reasons why, not the only reason, but one of the reasons why the Liberals in this case have been hesitant to use tools that other governments have and they themselves have used, including back-to-work legislation. Um, Now, that calculation could change the longer the strike goes out, but I think that's one of the reasons the public support for these causes that has led the Liberals to pause, because they've been trying to court organized labor as part of their electoral coalition over the last couple of years and eat away some of the support from the New Democrats. Um, And, you know, using heavy-handed tactics in this case could undermine some of that work they've been doing. It's true. They've been careful. They're blaming the prime minister. They're not blaming the workers who are striking. Everybody wants the votes. We've got the political ramifications swirling around, not just the economics one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you cannot ignore the, the real politique that's happening behind the scenes. I mean, the prime minister himself is under some minor, you know, sort of excessive spending scandals with his own vacation patterns mm-hmm. and histories. And, you know, the, the huge purchase or the huge subsidy to a major manufacturer and car uh, auto manufacturer, um, you know, the increase in MP salaries and all of that plays into some of the political jockeying back and forth by by the parties. And then you've got the NDP saying they will not support any kind of legislative ordering of back to work, which is part of the Liberal coalition right now, or the NDP Liberal coalition in Ottawa. So it's hard to ignore at the federal level all of the politics happening in the background, too, as well. Yeah, absolutely. Although, you know, the polling counts in this, Charles. As it goes ahead, things can change day by day. One story can change the perspective on this. Do you agree? I think it could. I mean, I think right now, given the services that, you know, Canadians are not, not able to access, I think it's hard to say that, you know, it's not like teachers, right? If teachers walk out and, you know, there's like thousands of, of kids automatically don't get to go to school, there's that direct mm-hmm. implication right away. So 
some of the services here take longer, right? You know, you delay of your passport, delay of immigration services, a delay in, in some of the CRA services. I think in the short term, those aren't going to hit you immediately. So over the long term, the longer those services are, are not available, the more frustration moves around the general public. So certainly that could play a role for sure. I think that both parties recognize, though, given the hardening of their positions, that they have to have a bit of a PR campaign to deal with that issue. And I think one of the most interesting facts is that the union has been able to say, listen, like these are workers that are not trying to, you know, massively drain the public purse, but just to stay above water. And I think right now that message is working really well. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.